0: On this week's Water Cooler podcast, we call out get-ups, dodgy graphs. A Canadian university student who felt the rough end of political correctness. Should year 12 students who finish in the bottom fifth be encouraged to go to university? Dealing with a shark menace in WA? And what these cinema advertisements of 1943 tell us about the changing attitudes to women that led to the election of the first women to federal parliament 75 years ago this month? There's nothing more
1: attractive than a kissable girl. Boy, oh boy, what marvellous teeth she has. It's the very first thing a man notices in a girl. Most of Australia's professional models use Colynos dental cream to keep their teeth white and sparkling, to give them that uh, kissable smile.
0: You're listening to the Water Cooler podcast. My name's Nick Cater, and with me's Fred Paul. So from the advertisements that were shown in the cinemas in 1943, let's move to the political advertising today, which of course takes place mainly in uh, social media. Some of it can be pretty deceptive, can't it, Fred?
1: Yes, it can. I think what we're seeing now is the uh, manifestation of attitudes towards media from people who have grown up surrounded by social media. We used to call them digital natives a few years ago, but I think even that term's become a bit uh, passe because uh, everyone's a digital native now. But, you know, the the sort of um, the adherence to integrity of information uh, just doesn't seem to be there anymore, Nick.
0: No, and I, I, I'm always suspicious when you see a graph presented on its own that's supposed to ch- prove something conclusively. And that was a case uh, earlier this month when GetUp posted a, a graph which purported to show that wages, growth in wages, had fallen sharply uh, after Donald Trump cut corporate tax in America. They claimed that there was a drop in wage growth between the first and second quarters of 2018, Uh, based purely on some cherry-picked figures from a company called Payscale. Now, that's a commercial company that comes up with uh, figures on what current salaries are for, for companies. Uh, now, if, if they'd have chosen, of course, the more normal route of doing this, which is to take the uh, US uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics figures and look at them not just quarter on quarter, but this quarter compared to the quarter of last month, the same quarter last year, rather, you get a completely different result. You find that uh, uh, wages were either went up slightly or down slightly, depending on... Uh, which measure you take but there's no conclusive evidence at all I mean basically that graph is uh, shows you two tenths of nothing incidentally Fred the, the people that have picked this up are the conversation that uh, online uh, journal
1: that that's a turn up that conversation swings really to the left that they were that they're calling out get up must mean that get up has really put their foot in it this time but I think it's it, this is an example of uh, of, of this is a typical social media phenomenon. What GetUp is not trying to prove a point here. All they're trying to do is prove people with opposing opinions wrong. That's their objective, don't you think, Nick?
0: Yeah. There's no attention here to empirical detail. I mean, they, they they seem to be just determined to show two things on uh, on Facebook and Instagram, or, or should we say Fakebook and uh, Fakebook and Instasham? But <laughs> um, two points they're trying to make first of all is to argue that black is white by saying that a reduction in company tax won't be good for the economy I mean that's impossible to argue I would have thought and the second thing is that uh, the media here and even some more so in the United States seems to go out of its way to show that the American economy is a lot worse than it is I mean to, to their logic it must be because you've got Donald Trump in charge
1: it must annoy them no end when they see those figures come out for uh you know decreasing unemployment especially among Minorities. Yeah, and
0: if we're if we're concerned about wages being flat, the biggest jump in wages comes when people get a job, when they go from being unemployed to exactly. getting a job. Exactly. And 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 that's happened in the United States. Unemployment is is at a a, a a low that it hasn't been at for some decades, and that's really frustrating. But a company tax would would uh, assist that. Company tax drives investment. It drives jobs. So uh, a big uh, a big cross for. Uh, get up there on the on the fact-checking state. Facts are stubborn, as Mark Twain once said, but statistics are pliable. <laughs> Fred, political correctness can be uh, pretty vicious, as we know. We know from our good friend uh, Bill Leake what he suffered... Uh, from the Human Rights Commission, uh, when he was uh, charged under 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act, you, you've been speaking to somebody else this week, haven't you, Fred, who suffered the rough end of political correctness?
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, as we know, Bill suffered enormous anguish from the way he was treated by uh, by the uh, politically correct brigade, and so too did Lindsay Shepherd, a young assistant student teacher from a university in Ontario, Canada, who last year showed her students a debate featuring Jordan Peterson discussing the pros and cons of non-gendered pronouns. Uh, apparently the, um, the, the class, the tutorial, went extremely well. No one uh, expressed any uh, anguish or pain or, or, or uh, feel being ostracized in the debate. Um, but a, a week later, Lindsay was called in by her superiors and, and disciplined. Disciplined? Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing that changed this, that this might normally have thro- flown under the radar, um, but she secretly videoed this meeting, and that changed everything. But the thing that I noticed about her, Nick, this is the most important thing, is Lindsay is essentially just a, a, a very sensible young woman She is not a conservative, and she's not a neocon. She is often, um, she is often labelled as one, but she's not.
0: Let's listen to a bit of that interview now, shall we?
1: I was just really bewildered at how they were telling me that I, you know, had threatened the students in my class. I targeted trans folks. uh, I created an unsafe learning environment, a toxic climate. I had violated the Ontario Human Rights Code. All because of this clip that I showed. So, would you call that censorship? In a way, yes. Because they—if you listen to the whole audio recording, which is about forty-two minutes—I um, did, you know, secretly record the disciplinary meeting and I released it to the media. If you listen to it, you know, at the end they're telling me, you know, please don't play any more video clips, uh, and from now on you need to submit your lesson plans to us. So I kind of had marked myself as someone who like couldn't be trusted
0: with students. Pretty troubling story, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. I think it's really troubling that uh, that someone with such integrity can be treated so badly. It's a shocking, shocking case of political correctness.
0: So on the subject of uh, universities, I took a look this week at the number of students who drop out of universities. There was a very good report out recently by the Grattan institute by andrew norton who who said that fifty thousand students who start this year will drop out they won't complete their courses it's pretty ropey isn't it
1: oh yeah it's very distressing well uh, speaking as someone who dropped out of university myself um you know I, i like to think i'm a graduate of the school of hard knocks but the um but yeah, my son is at university at the moment and, uh, and he has every intention of, of completing the course and I hope he does. I mean, he, when he finishes, he will emerge with a considerable debt and he'll need to uh, get a decent job to pay it off. But I can't imagine what it's like for a dropout to emerge without any qualifications and a debt talk about a double disadvantage at at a, at a stage of life when you really should be kicking goals
0: that's right i mean grattan institute say that the average debt of students who drop out is $12,000 so that's $12,000 for nothing as far as i can see except anxiety and um, and i also found that many students of course end up feeling like failures so what is the point of pushing people through
1: This is not unrelated to the work we were doing just a month or two ago about uh, the um, vocational education sector, which suffered enormously under the previous Labor government, is only now turning around. But for many years, Australia was actually importing tradesmen and uh, tradespeople and apprentices and actual apprenticeships went down under the Labor government and the deals that it, it, it locked in place. But... You know, I think it was Gillard who really hammered home the the um, preoccupation with tertiary education. And it's not for everyone. I don't know why why we think it is. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a good trade. And in fact, you know, I, I can think of a lot of tradesmen who actually earn a bit more money than I do.
0: So, In 1957, Robert Menzies brought S- Sir Keith Murray out to Australia to look at the higher education system, which at that stage, I think around about three to four percent of students went on to university and Keith Murray looked at it and he said according to the best international evidence probably about 16 percent of school leavers had what it takes to go to university could benefit from a university education. Now if you look at the entrance uh, scores for some courses like the one that was highlighted this week at Victoria University in education we're saying in effect that 82.5 percent of students (laughs) Leave Year 12 are fit to go to university because they've taken on people with ATAR scores as low as 17.5%. That's firmly in the bottom quintile.
1: Well, this is clearly a result of the of the redesign of the tertiary sector. uh, Universities now are really only interested in making money. The more students they get, the more money they make, and they just have to lower the standards to do that.
0: Yeah, and the one thing that the 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 one variable that that seems to be closely aligned with whether you're likely to drop out of university is, wait for it, your ATAR score. You know, if you get an ATAR score of 80 or more, then you are Twice or half as likely to drop out of university than if you get an task score of sixty or less. I mean that's hardly surprising. But in our, t- uh, in our time,
1: Nick, the, uh, the, the the signifier of whether you were going to drop out was how much time you spent in the university <laughs> bar.
0: <laughs> well, is it? Yes, indeed, indeed. The, the sharks at universities trying to get trying to get people <laughs> through the door.
1: Mate, universities will be allowing sharks in next. So I mean, yes. they'll they'll let they'll let the uh, they'll lower the bar that far. Um, yes, yeah, so sharks are back in the news again, mate. The um, the West Australian government has finally admitted that it might have a bit of a problem off its shores uh, with great whites, uh, as the abundance and size of which is, by all accounts, getting completely out of hand. The Labor government came into power um, on the uh, on the promise that they would do nothing about it, um, and now that things are getting so bad, they have admitted, yes. They will take this, uh, take a program, they will, in, they will implement a program of smart drum lines. Now, this technology is being used in northern New South Wales, and it's my theory that this is actually a very expensive way to kill sharks. I'm not convinced that these smart drum lines are doing what they uh, claim to do, and that is saving the sharks, tagging them, and letting them swim around. There's uh, plenty of evidence to suggest that soon after these, these sharks are caught on a smart drum line, tagged and released, that they actually die.
0: I believe you on that, Fred. You, you are, after all, as we often say, the Paul Kelly of the shark world. So <laughs> uh, thank, thanks for that. And finally, for our last topic today, have a listen to this. What's this? Roast chicken without stuffing. <laughs> I don't like this at all. But if you ask me, I'd rather have no seasoning at all than this stuff, full of bread with a sprinkling of onion and just the taste of herbs. That's right, fill it up with bread. But I'm afraid your husband's boss isn't going to ask for a second helping of that seasoning, dear lady. Just a minute, this is what you need. There you are, your troubles are over. Just open that packet of Tandico stuffing, pour some of that mixture into a bowl, add some boiling water, mix it, and you've got the most delicious seasoning you've ever eaten. There's no doubt about this homemade stuffing, you can't beat it. Mm-mm. Whenever you want seasoning, remember, your grocer has Tandico. That's a cinema advertisement from 1943. That was the very year that the first women entered Parliament. And uh, it shows, I think, the sort of prevailing social attitude to women at that st- that stage, which was gradually changing, that women were there to do the housework and not much else. But um, that was changing quickly as we're going to be uh, celebrating next week in, uh, in our gala dinner in Canberra.
1: Yes, it's going to be a fantastic gala dinner and... It's going to be an example, or it's going to illustrate to us just how much things have changed. I think one of the big stories of the past two weeks is Emma Hussar. And this is a contrast to uh, Enid Lyons herself. Now, there was an instance instance while Enid was in the House of Representatives back in the 40s where she was about to get up to talk, uh, to respond to a motion in the House. And she realised that the suspender on her stocking had popped, Nick. And this was so devastating to her because um, she she didn't want to she didn't want to stand up because she would have actually flashed a bit of flesh, especially to some members of the public who were watching from the gallery above. So she went to great lengths. She recalls this in her autobiography. But she went to great lengths to use the uh, members of parliament on either side of her to shield her while she reattached the stockings and saved her uh, saved her modesty and in her memoirs she says that if if she if she hadn't been able to do that she says what devastating effect on it would have had on her and what a huge story it would have been in the press and in fact if the story had got out she says she would not have found the courage to face the public again uh, those, are, those are much more modest times, Nick, I've got to say.
0: Yeah, well, we, we'll be celebrating that on Tuesday at the gala dinner when uh, the actress Le- Le- Lexi Seculus will be uh, playing Dame it in the chamber, on the floor of the chamber, delivering her maiden speech. It's a spectacular performance. We've both seen it in rehearsal. Uh, but, you know, the the, the the significance of that moment came home to me when you think that this is the first woman's voice that has been heard during proceedings in Parliament, the first women's shoes that have stepped foot on that green carpet uh, to, to go and sit, take their place, uh, so that somebody could take their place in the, uh, in, on the green benches. And there was uh, a lot, we were reading this week, some of the newspaper clippings at the time, a lot of debate about etiquette, you know, would the women members be allowed to go to the bar and to the billiard room, and they decided that they should. But it was a very significant moment and uh, only 75 years ago we forget that don't we
1: we do yeah i mean we've grown so accustomed to seeing women in all sorts of roles of uh, you know in positions of power and, and influence and even on the sporting fields these days but i think it's so easy to forget how much courage it must have taken for Ina to do that to just to run for parliament and then to actually walk into the chamber and deliver that speech. It it is an extremely important moment in Australian history.
0: It was a different attitude, I think, to uh, women's rights at that time. You can see from reading what uh, Robert Menzies and John Curtin, the, the Prime Minister of the time, said. They were both highly, highly delighted that the woman was coming to Parliament. Their view, though, was very much based on the equality of opportunity, that women should have every opportunity to go to Parliament if they wanted, but they didn't think that women should be made to go to Parliament or that you should vote for somebody simply because she's a woman, you should vote for them, vote for the candidate on, on their own merits. Now, that's a very different argument that's being run today that we need equality of outcomes and ta- and quotas, you know, that we need 50% of women as a quota. I'm uncomfortable with that.
1: Yeah, so am I. And don't you f- don't you feel that in those in those comments from Curtin and Menzies in the time at the time, don't you feel there's a certain there's more of an authenticity about their encouragement then than there is now when men get up in men get up and and advocate quotas and so on there's something a little bit superficial about that if you ask me
0: yeah and i think we can get caught up we can get tripped up by the language you know i mean it seems when you read her speech there's many references to domestic household duties and so forth but wait a minute he, he was a woman with i think 11 children uh, at a time when, uh, you know, we had, the, the, there were only rudimentary household appliances, really. I mean, a lot of houses didn't have washing machines, many didn't have fridges. The, the burden of managing a household was much larger then. And I think as these advertisements that we've been looking at show that, uh, the, you know, the arrival of electric stoves, the arrival of instant stuffing and, uh, you know, s- uh, washing powder and all these things I hadn't seen before made a huge difference.
1: Yeah, well, the burden was one thing, but the status was another. I mean, it was a big responsibility to be a stay-at-home mum back in those days. It's a role that's much maligned. I was a, I was a stay-at-home dad for the early years of my uh, kid's childhood, and I, uh, I didn't underestimate that role at all. I think it's one of the best roles, one of the, one of the most important jobs in society is to be responsible for keeping the home, and, uh, and good on Enid for, uh, for bringing that to our parliament.
0: Well, thanks, Fred. Uh, Thanks for another water cooler podcast. Um, We're going to get this up on iTunes, I think, soon, aren't we?
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Stay tuned, yeah.
0: We're fine. We're discovering the technology.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, stay tuned. Good. Thank you.